This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Producer's note. This episode discusses sex abuse by clergy, sexual harassment, and contains a mention of suicidal ideation. Listener discretion is advised. He doesn't know anything about me. He doesn't know what I've been exposed to in my life. What if that was my first time seeing a penis and this is my this is my exposure to it in this like really weird offhand uncomfortable way some women don't know how to react in those scenarios some women what ends up happening because what we've been taught in church settings is that we're the cause for a guy's reaction to us and sexualizing us so someone woman would say oh like i have enough friends that would see something like that and be like what have i done to show that he can send me that Welcome back to the Full Mutuality Podcast. This episode is the continuation of our conversation with Lizette. So if you haven't heard the first part, be sure to listen to the last episode before diving into this one. If you have listened to the part one, let's jump right back in. I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird that how it all just like happened. Like the pastor call stuff happens. I haven't really thought about Hillsong in years and haven't really gone in process. Like, I don't know, just everything. Hmm. Um so yeah, I guess I can start talking about the well, thing. Did your did your situation was it after the Carl Lentz uh, situation? Yeah, came public. So yeah, it, yeah, it was after all of that. So I hadn't thought it's it all just happens at like I mean that's just life. Things just happen at the perfect time um, because I hadn't really got I haven't really been involved in a big church community here. It's not been something that I've been like. I think I just still and I'm still like processing a lot. Um, and just like rehabbing to see how I feel about church. Um, I still believe in God and stuff, but even that is like, maybe the way that I've seen God and I've been taught how to see God is not the real way for me anyway. Yeah. So I have obviously kept in touch with people. I've moved in from New Jersey to Texas and I've kept in touch with a few people, um, mostly through like social media, Instagram, that type of thing. Um, and so there was a pastor. <clears throat> well, he wasn't a pastor at the time when I was in Hillsong. He was just really an acquaintance, acquaintance and not even someone that I was really close with. Um, it was just just like with Nate, you know, when you're in a small group of volunteers, especially at like the New Jersey level of Hillsong was a lot smaller. Um, there was one service that met once every Sunday. I think now it meets a little bit more. So, you know, we're doing the thing. We're hanging out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that same group of people. So you get to know each other pretty well. So there was the one pastor there who, you know, we were friends. Again, not someone that I was like, buddy, buddy, hanging out, texting, nothing like that. But we just, someone that occasionally would comment on something on Instagram, um, would message like every now, like every like few years, really. Um, but I did notice that, I can't even remember the dates, but around like the start of like maybe a year ago, there were more comments and not just, I knew he was married. I knew he had like a kid. Um, and I started noticing there was a pattern of the type of things he was responding to. And it was mostly like, it's me in a bikini. It's me like drinking tequila with my girlfriends and just like nothing inappropriate, but just like, I think there was one specific where I'm wearing like a very... It's not a thirst trap, but I'm wearing a low cut shirt and my dog's in the background. And so the one time he decides to respond is like, oh, is that like a cow in the background? And it's like obvious that like he's really commenting on the photo because of the type of photo, but like something very just right. not like the obvious. Um, so just I like, started noticing there was more of a pattern of this. 
which is fine. It's not, it's nothing crazy. And then as the Pastor Carl Lentz stuff starts happening and like Hillsong is on the cover of all these entertainment news sites, um, I get a random message like from this person who's like, hey, I'm going to be in Austin. I need some place low key. I need to like get away and like hide from something. All I need to be be next to is a liquor store. Um, and I remember thinking, I wonder if this has to do with all this stuff that's coming out about Hillsong. Because at this point, around this time of the year, I think it was like February, January, December, um, I felt like every week there was like a new article about someone at Hillsong, some type of um, inappropriate thing, someone getting exposed for this, something coming out about it's this. Like the dam was breaking at that point where yes, once the, like- the Carl Lentz story, it, all these other pastors, all these other scenarios, everyone who was in any abusive scenario all of a sudden had a boldness or at least people were starting to listen to want to believe them about what was going on. So questions were starting yeah. to be asked and stories were starting to be told with an ear to hearing them. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I had assumed, I bet you something is coming out about this person and he just doesn't want to be around when it comes out. So I was like, okay, like, sure, I can help you figure something out. I was like, look at these Airbnbs. Like, I think they were like, what is it called? Those Airstreams are big. So I was like, look, this Airstream is secluded. It's far away. Like, I mean, I just did a simple search of Airbnb. I'm sure he could have too, but I was like, sure. Um, so never thought anything of it. Kind of just sent that. I was like, well, good luck. Um, yeah, so then that was kind of the communication. You didn't take it like day, he was trying to, you know, have you put him up and hang out with you at that time. At that point, I didn't want to assume anything. I was right. like, whatever, it is what it is. I'm sure, like, maybe he would have been like, hey, do you want to go grab a drink? But at that point, I was like, this is whatever. You know, I'm just going to be as – going to assume this is as innocent as it can be. That's what I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, one morning – I like wake up. It was like early morning. Like I remember being in bed and just checking my phone and I get a message from him and he's like, oh my God, I've added you on my close friends on Instagram, which if you're not familiar, Instagram has the feature where like only a certain amount of people can view your story, whatever you post. Um, it is very difficult to be added to that. There's a lot of steps and extra buttons. You have to search for the person, the name. So it's like, so I'm a message. Oh my God, I've added you on this. I'm so sorry. Didn't mean to. My bad. Um, and I remember being like, it's fine. I was just like, it's okay. haha. Like no big deal. And then again, I'm so sorry. Like I really didn't want you to see that. Like I post some really raw shit on there. And at that point I was like, there is something he wants me to see. And I know it because He's like going out of his way to ensure like it's almost like a line like fishing in like Mm -hmm. don't look at this when Mm -hmm. you're human. Obviously, what you're going to want to do is go look at it. So I was like, I already know there's going to be something. And actually, I'd assume it's a shirtless photo. So I open the Instagram. I You're thinking best case scenario. I'm like, (laughs) you're still thinking best case. He wants me to see his six pack. Um, and actually I scroll through and there's like a video of him with his child. And then the next photo is him shirtless. And that's all I see. And I was like, oh my God. And I screenshot it and I'm like, ew, gross. I knew it. And I actually sent it to my friend who was still a volunteer at Hillsong. And I was like, can you believe this person just really sent me this? And my friend was the one who replied and goes, oh my God, is that his dick? And I was like, what? And then I go look and sure enough, you can... It's a very staged photo. It's a mirror selfie. The very everything. large. Yeah, with everything. It's these very thin white 
legging workout pants that some men wear, but like a full outline. And it's not just one, there's two of them. And I just remember being like, this is it. Cause he'd also messaged that he'd removed me from the close friends. And I've done the testing because I wanted to ensure before I was like, this is intentional. I have gone in, I've, I've even tested this with friends. And I've been like, add me to your close friends, post something, and then remove me and tell me what happens. When you remove someone, the post goes away. You can no longer see it. So you told me, I've removed you. You can't see it anymore. But I could still, I could see it throughout the whole day. Like I remember checking back later, be like, did he really remove me? And there it still is. So I immediately blocked him. My first response is like, ew, block. Uh, I can't believe this happened. And then I was like sitting at home and I'm like telling my, I think, I can't remember I was dating my boyfriend at the time. We were just talking, but I remember talking to him about it. And I'm like, I cannot believe he did that. And then I just started like thinking back and I'm like, if he sent that to me, this is not like some one-off thing that has happened. He has done this to multiple people. And Mm -hmm. what this is, is a way for him to test the waters Mm -hmm. because what you're, what he's wanting is a response from me. And he wants my response to be like, Ooh, I like what I see. Like, send me more. Like, oh, I'll send you something too. And so there's full intention in that. That is what the conversation. So that if I were to be like, which I was, absolutely not, you're disgusting. His response can be, I didn't mean to send you that. I told you that was an accident that wasn't supposed to be for you. Right. Um, he'd also caption those like kicking depression in the ass. So then there's also this side where if I were to be like, I can't believe you would post this, he could be like, this is just me talking about my mental health. Like you can't judge that. And I just remember like thinking like, I'm not the only person he does this to. And I know from my history of being raised in a church and in a Christian background as a woman, um, I have a lot of friends who have the purity thing is like shoved down your throat. Don't have sex before marriage. And a lot of women choose to live that way. And they are very, I think what happens in those scenarios is like you get Women that are very like, I don't know what the right word is, but like there's like you're you're in a bubble. Like I have a lot of friends that are like this too, where they they have never seen a guy's like penis. You don't know who else he's sending this to. So I'm just thinking like, is this, what if this was someone like, he doesn't know anything about me. He doesn't know what I've been exposed to in my life. What if that was my first time seeing a penis and this is my, this is my exposure to it in this like really weird, offhand, uncomfortable way Some women don't know how to react in those scenarios. Some women, what ends up happening, because what we've been taught in church settings is that we're the cause for a guy's reaction to us and sexualizing us. So some women would say, oh, like I have enough friends that would see something like that and be like, what have I done to show that he can send me that? And there's like a lot of- How have I caused him to send me something inappropriate? I must have given him the idea that this was what I wanted. Yeah. And so when I had that thought and like there's a specific friend, I was like, if my friend would have received that, that would have been her immediate reaction. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, this is my fault. I've done this. And I just got angry. And so I unblocked him and I sent him a message. I was just like, how dare you, first of all, think that I'm so stupid that I cannot see what you're doing. And I just like kind of like went off and was like, this is absolutely disgusting. You're disgraceful. Like you need help. I know you're doing this to other women. I'm not the first. This is like your ploy. You have a whole game. You know what you're doing exactly. And I sent it and all I did, I waited for him to just start typing and like see that it was saw. And then I blocked him. Um, Well, actually I think he sent me one thing like 
really question mark. And then I blocked him because I just wanted to ensure that he saw it. Um, Because I was like, I don't even care what his response is because I know what I know. Mm -hmm. This isn't new. I'm not a new person. I am not. I am familiar with the world. I know how some things work. And I just know like there was an intention. I know that intention wasn't good. So I want to first of all say thank you so much for for sharing. I know that a lot of that's still very intense. Um, I, I want to turn the the conversation towards something else. And I, I don't want to absolve this this former pastor of uh, of any of the, did the guilt. Did they end up or, resigning? Or, Sorry, Nate, because you said former oh, yeah, pastor. Yeah, yeah. So 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 he did end up resigning from um, from what I understand. Um, Was but it after the scenario he resigned? After it went public, uh, right? Yeah. 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 So after people found out about it, um, was when he resigned. Um, but what I, what I want to, and and like, like I said, I don't want to absolve him of any guilt, but I also want to kind of tie this into what we were talking about previously of how, um, you know, cultures are, are created and passed down. And Mm -hmm. this is something else that I've, that I've noticed, um, about Hillsong. And I don't remember, there have been two, so far, two documentaries that I'm aware of that have come out about Hillsong. The BBC did one called, um, God goes viral, um, yeah. which which is a, a kind of a fascinating look in inside inside Hillsong, and then there was another one that Sixty Minutes Australia did, and that one's actually up on YouTube. In order to see the BBC one, you have to actually like be in the UK to watch it. But um, the the one <clears throat> on Sixty Minutes Australia is available on YouTube globally, I believe. So um, both very that, good. Uh, we've watched yes. both of them, and I think for anyone, I would encourage anyone if they're in Hillsong still to take the time to. I know you might be kept very busy and in a lot of volunteering, but think of where you're giving your support. Just take yeah. some time to analyze what you're lending your your time and effort to if this brand is really something you want to be supporting. And sometimes that means you have to open your eyes. And it's mm-hmm. not painful. Yeah. It could mean losing your community. I understand it must be extremely scary. I've also lost community when I left church. I know both Nate and I have gone through that experience of, of investing heavily and having to leave. Um, but it's worth taking the time if you're in those. I, I would want because Hillsong is such a big organization, and there are p- thousands of people across all the different Hillsongs. Um, encourage people to take the time if they're plugging into a church to do the research to learn about what they're supporting, and there may be a lot of structural things that you might not see as a volunteer right away, or or you're attending that you know might just you might just see the smoke initially, this the fog machines and and the cool stuff and the cool hip looking pastors, and you might not know what's going on behind the scenes that, you know, these documentaries do a good job of shining a light on. Um, and I know from church perspective, it's the devil trying to take us down and ruin God's ministry. And there's a lot of gaslighting to try and make you feel that, you know, it's just an attempt of the enemy to ruin God somehow. But these are organizations. These are business. These things make these places make money off of individuals serving and giving their time for free and donating money. Lots of money gets donated and it's worth looking into what's going on and, and not mm-hmm. being naive about it. So I would encourage people. Both of those documentaries were pretty well done. Yeah. 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 So um, in one of those documentaries, and I I cannot for the life of me remember which one, but there was the story of a guy who um, had come out of a a pretty rough background. um, And he was sort of when when he started attending uh, a Hillsong location, I believe it was um, Hillsong London, which makes me think it was the BBC um, documentary. But um, 
So when he uh, started attending Hillsong London, and then one of the pastors heard his story, and I think there was like, you know, drug abuse in his past, there was, you know, um, parental abuse, there were there was all, all sorts of stuff that had happened to him that made his story very fascinating, right? And so those those are the kinds of stories, the the a sort of play on the rags to riches stories that we tend to gravitate towards. Yeah. So one and of evangelical stories, Christianity yeah. very much gravitates towards. Oh yeah, stories. because you because not only is it simply a rags to riches story, because what evangelicalism loves to do is they love to highlight God's power and God's grace Transformation in, in and circ- grace. right, yeah. right, right. So in in these stories, there's this push towards really highlighting how God can work in somebody's life through Hillsong, of course, because you have to brand it. Um, but when when this guy's story started kind of getting told throughout the church, one of the pastors heard about it and then said, "Hey, let's you know let's meet. Hey, we'd love for you to share your story up on stage." Um, and so they they give him the stage to talk about his trauma, to talk about his his history. And they they kind of show, the documentary shows a little bit about his preparation and what he was kind of internally uh, dialoguing a little bit as they were sort of interviewing him a little and getting a sense for what he was feeling. And he had, there was this sense where I, I felt like he's not ready for this. This isn't the venue for him to, to talk about this. He needs to be talking to a licensed therapist. Yeah. But instead, he's being he's being given this platform where he, he's going to tell his story, um, tailored in a way to fit kind of Hillsong's narrative. But then also, he's going to get applause from tens of thousands of people in the auditorium that he's in, like twenty thousand people in 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 on one on any given Sunday at one location. I believe um, New York City was was running about like 25,000. So like um, spread that across the multiple services. You know, it's not like 25,000 in the building at once, but you know, it's it's a um, a massive group of people who are applauding him and are and and are feeding him this um, this praise. And I don't know what how his story end, ends up, but like that kind of thing can can trigger um, a response. If somebody has addictive tendencies, that can trigger some of those addictive responses that they then get attracted to that feeling uh, of being up on stage. And the church empowers some of that um, by continuing to give them more opportunities to get up on stage. They get more people applauding them. It fuels this in them, but none of them are ready for the, the responsibility of influencing people. I know that you're going to get into that, Nate, and I want to. I want you to hold your thought, and I want to bookmark that in my mind too, of being put into places that you shouldn't. You shouldn't be given um, based on where you're at. But when you were, I just, I had this flash of myself um, as a as an evangelical young kid who was in foster care, and I had the rags to riches. God delivered me out of a home with a pedophile and a psychopathic foster mom. Like that was my childhood story, and God kept me alive, and He. He kept me sane. And, you know, my evangelical church was part of, you know, what helped me not commit suicide as, as not die by suicide as a, as a child. I hung on to that. But I knew how to tell my story on a stage in a way that would highlight, you know, the messages that my church wanted to give, which I believed in at the time. But I really like the point you made about how that story should have been told to a therapist. Like that's exploited. I just want to point out the exploitiveness of those trauma, those trauma stories being told as 
And the label they give them in evangelical churches, testimonies, right? You're going to give your yeah. testimony mm -hmm. of God's work in your life. But especially for myself, I'm going to just say any childhood trauma stuff when you're a child or you're a teenager and you're giving your testimony. I have big questions on the people who allow you in those positions to talk like that, knowing that you're still in the process of you haven't even gotten out on the other side. You know, you mentioned the fog, the fog machine six years later and the effect it triggered in you. Like yeah. a lot of the stuff I'm learning you know, is years after being removed as an adult coming to terms with how things that happened in my childhood have an impact now. So just that idea of the way trauma is exploited in order to to help the church is something we need to seriously call into question and think through. And I definitely remember a lot of kids around me feeling like, well, I didn't do drugs. I don't have some crazy bad story. I guess yeah. maybe I'm not really saved or something is wrong with me because like, I think that was disturbing to me is I had a very disturbing story. So they'd put me on a stage and want me to tell about it. So people would be fascinated and be like, wow. And it had the shock and awe factor. But I think it mm -hmm. also left a lot of kids from normal homes feeling maybe I'm not a real Christian. Maybe I'm not really I need to get saved for the 20th time because my story's normal and I wasn't abused and I don't have a drugs to God pulled me out of the muck story. Like those highlighting grace is the kind of terms they might use. But um, yeah, so I just, I guess I wanted to piggyback off of that because we're just talking broader evangelical culture. And that hit me as you were talking about that guy's story in Hillsong and how they pushed him in that direction where he was, you know, had gone through so much trauma and then he's feeling that attention and love. And, and I think I can work, I recognize that in myself, what that felt like to be affirmed, to be seen as a leader mm -hmm. when, when you weren't given that, you know, and yeah. maybe we'll get into a bit later, but even being a woman in a church where you're given in a stage is kind of a big deal to be heard <laughs> on a platform mm -hmm. in evangelical yeah. culture. But Getting back to your point, Nate, I wanted to just side ta tangent off to the whole testimony thing because you were telling about that guy being put right. on the stage. Right. So one of the thoughts that kind of popped up in my mind, and I don't know like um, everything about uh, that particular pastor's um, background and history, but you know, I was um, close enough to him that um, I was I, I was aware that he his backstory was a tough one. We're talking and, about now you're jumping yeah, from the, the story of the guy on the stage in the Hillsong documentary to now the pastor of the situation Lizeth was involved right, in. Right. Right. So with this particular pastor, I'm not um I, I was close enough to him. I wasn't very close to him, but I was close enough to know that um his background was was a little bit tough. Um, and he had seen some things and been through, he, he had lived life. And it's, to me, it strikes me as what, what little I know about his story, it does still bear all the resemblances to the kinds of stories that Hillsong and churches like Hillsong will gravitate towards and yeah. then lift those people up into places of influence and power because they're like, well, this is a great story and we want to we want to present this. But here's the thing, people in, in those environments are not ready. Like I said before, they need to talk to a therapist. Correct. They need to work through their shit before they can get up on a platform and, and start influencing lives. Yeah. Um, you know, let alone being given the title of, of pastor. So um, that to me says a lot. And I don't want to, again, I don't want to absolve him of, of any yeah. kind of guilt here because he made choices and he had, there were, there were decisions in front of him and he made those decisions. Yeah. However, um, I, I kind of wonder if he wouldn't have been in the place that he was in, had it not been for this church latching onto his story and then lifting him up to a position of uh, of influence and power that he wasn't ready for. 
um, yeah. which and is kind of endemic to, to Hillsong. People, I see pastors that are like that left and right. I mean, there are other pastors who, mm-hmm, there are other pastors who, who I knew um, not super well, but I knew that they had some pretty rough um, backgrounds and whatnot, not, not involved in any scandals, but they were in and out of leadership because of issues that they were dealing with with, me- with their mental health. These are not yeah. people that should be pastors. I'm, I'm almost wondering, like, um, if you're looking at it from the most charitable perspective, maybe even perhaps naive perspective, I'm going to, I'm a little more cynical, but like that, you know, they're looking at them and seeing their story as powerful. And that's the attractive part. Mm -hmm. Oh, look, they've lived some really serious life experiences. They have something inspiring and powerful to pass on. That's the most positive spin I could put on with maybe why they're plucking them out to and putting them in these roles, but on the more skeptical side, or maybe the more critical side. And I think, and I think it's good to be a critical thinker about these things too. I wonder if it gives more power for influence of leaders above them and grooming when someone has come from a background where they're dealing with some mental health struggles, they're not on totally on top of in, in their own thought process of, of analyzing the system around them as well, when maybe the mentorship of someone above them is going to mean extra because they have had some deep lackings in their life and a, and a miss like missing mentors, missing parents, missing, you know, whatever part of that trauma story has been a hole or a lacking having someone who is coming in limping makes it a lot easier to take them under your wing and to just feel so thankful and grateful for your investment in them. Um, that I almost wonder if those trauma experiences are part of shaping and molding them into sort of following the lead without question because they're just so overwhelmed and happy to be lifted into this role and not able to ask the critical questions because of what they're still haven't had a chance to heal or, or um, cope with. Like it, it takes some healing before you can even look at these situations more objectively. But if they're coming straight from a trauma scenario and being lifted into these positions, it's a lot harder for them to call into question the leaders above them to challenge or to look at the whole system. And it's much easier for them to be shaped and molded into whoever's on top of them, taking them under their wing. I don't know if that makes any sense or resonates or do, what do you guys think? Yeah. I think the big thing that happens is like these people aren't look so much as like a person or a person in pain or a person that needs help, but they're like, this is a story. This is a testimony. This is like, and that's what I think. And they get it's way they, to further they, the brand. Yeah. It's a way for them to brand. It's a way for them. Hey, these are the people that write books and hit bestsellers and sell things because I mean, like you said, I know so many pastors that like when they first like, especially as a youth group, like youth pastors are like, feel like notorious, you know, I used to do drugs and I, this Mm -hmm. is my background now. Look at me today. I'm so happy. I have a hot wife. Um, Oh yeah. The hot wife. We need to get into that, but we'll, (laughs) we'll put pause. (laughs) Like with that scenario. Yes. And like, I think one of my big issues is I did I did end up going a little public with this story. Um, and my immediate, like when I, when I kind of hit a point where I was like, Oh, like I do feel bad. And that's why I think I, before we started recording, I said, I didn't want to mention this person by name because I don't think this is a bad person. And I don't think that he's evil or like deserves bad things. He's a normal human, a flawed person, but he was a product of this culture. And I think that was what I really wanted people to understand from this story. It's not so much, this is a bad person. He deserves everything bad. No, I don't think he's a bad person at all. I think there's a reason why he thought it was okay to be able to do things like that. I think Mm -hmm. there was a reason why his lead pastor has all these issues and all these 
other stores are coming around the same time because they're all the same product of the same issue of the same giant church. And I think it all just goes to say like, there are bigger issues. The issue isn't just like one penis photo. The issue is that like there, this person thought it was okay for him to do that, but there, there's something bigger going on. And there's like an issue just overall, it's all off of the same vein, but the way that women are seen, there's a way that these guys are allowed to feel like they're celebrities that can do anything and can't do anything wrong. And that they're no matter what happens, they're protected and they're going to end up being okay. That's really what all this for me meant. It was just like, there's something else. This is big in the sense that this just is speaking to a bigger evil. It's not just this one person. There's something else. I think when we cover stories, and and maybe it's a chance for us to highlight what our purpose is even in our podcast, any one story we're covering, we're thinking, how does this apply to the broader context? And that's usually what motivated, that's the motivating question that we're asking is, usually those individual stories are not, they're not so individual. It was like that moment where you went, wait, if he's sending this to me, how many other women have had to deal with this? And you knew this was not a unique, and some women who are more naive might think, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. I did something and the shame causes them to be quiet. But it made me think of Ravi Zacharias and how like a lot of the women who came forward Mm. also felt embarrassed and didn't felt ashamed like they had done something to provoke his inappropriate sexual behavior. But there's always, as soon as there's one, there are so many other ones. And there's always this attempt by the brand, like what Ravi with his his board ministry tried to cover up. Uh, I met Lorianne who who was one of the first victims to speak up and she was slandered so bad. She was gag ordered. She was treated like garbage and they tried to shut her down from speaking. When I met her, she was like, don't tell anyone where I live, but Hey, you can come by for supper sometime, but I'm hiding out. And it was like, and they had made her feel so frightened to, to talk. And, and her name was just dragged through the mud as someone trying to destroy this good godly man's reputation. And oftentimes when these pastors and these scandals break, the churches kick into high gear to protect their brand and they will protect, like Ravi Zacharias Ministries is a very powerful business enterprise. <laughs> this guy wrote tons of books and there's a whole group of people who make lots of money off of his organization. So the, the desire to protect the brand is why they gag ordered her and shut her down. But there was a pile of other women once it started to get exposed and after he was dead it became easier to to do this less intimidation i guess um but yeah. then you know the board finally acknowledged even that you know they were wrong to Lorianne as well but that took so long and you know people's stories often get buried because it's like oh it's just me it's just my story it just only happened to me and no one's going to believe it and then and then the organization pushes back to try and make you feel ashamed or make everyone believe you're crazy and it's usually once it gets to a certain level that the momentum picks up high enough to go, no, this is actually a real issue and a real problem. And it's not a one person thing. It's a cultural thing. And then with Ravi Zacharias, it's like, who are all the other people that knew that covered up to allow this certain thing to go on for as long? He had such influence and there, it, it's mm-hmm. never just they knew about it and no one else was aware. It's a whole system designed to protect and to cover up. So these sort of situations do replicate and happen often in different places. And Hillsong is sort of at that reckoning moment right now where that stuff is getting exposed, but you're right. This is not a, this wasn't about you. This was never you wanting to talk to, you know, be like me versus him. It was more like, let's take a look at the overall culture and how these things are handled and how these, how these situations come to be as a whole. And they're not isolated from the bigger 
the bigger culture of Hillsong or even evangelical culture as a whole, because I'm connecting Ravi in there too. It happens in other organizations too, but you brought up, and I, I want to circle back to this because I'm a woman and I said it before. I'm like that hot pastor wife thing. I want to go back. We're talking about sexual abuse of women here. And we're talking about a culture that as a whole sort of winks, nods, smiles. I mean, I remember when I heard the Carl Lenz story, just in my head thinking, everyone's focused on Carl. Who's thinking about his wife in all of this? Like Who got fired. Right. She, she lost like and everybody's like, poor Carl, he's lost everything. His wife didn't do anything. And yeah, she did nothing and she got fired. Right. Mm-hmm. And like the women involved in these situations, people don't take the time to think of how this culture affects the females and how they are victims yeah. in these. And I know we don't like the word victim sometimes, but like how women are treated and, and groomed to take responsibility for men's actions so that when these things happen, they they don't always report or talk about it, which, by the way, I'm proud of you for speaking up with your story, even though you're not wanting to put a name in order to because you're not making this personal. You do care about women who might be experiencing things and you want them to feel that they're not alone. So I just want to give you props for sharing. I know it's yeah. hard to tell your own story and and thank you. And yeah, but like we talked about how women are taught that it's their responsibility. And you made a mention of how men also get this message that they're entitled to get away yeah. with doing certain things. So how would you paint that into describing what does that look like in Hillsong? How are women treated versus men? What are the things you've observed in terms of the gender stuff that goes down at a yeah. church like and Hillsong? I, and I don't think it's just a Hillsong thing. It's a Completely very- Completely agree like, with you. Evangelical sure. problem, for sure. It's in the Bible. Like how many times have we seen where it's like a woman shall not speak um, or like <laughs> no man should get married? Like it's all over. And there's like, from childhood, we're taught like a woman, especially like a, I think, what is it? Like the Psalm 31 girl. Like, you know, she like walks. Pro- Proverbs 31. Or Proverbs 30? Yeah. Or is it 31? Yeah. I forget. Uh, one of them. 31. <laughs> okay. All yeah. right. So she like, you know, she tends to uh, like her house and her home is clean and her children are laughing and she walks quietly and is like gorgeous and like very <laughs> clearly in a home setting. And so we're taught like, it's like ingrained into us that we are supposed to be like this. Um, and you know, it's from- interesting. Sorry, I'm going to quickly yeah. just interject to say, I remember teaching this to my girls group as a youth pastor. Sorry, I had like this guilt moment of doing Proverbs 31 with my girls. But you know what attracted me to it was she actually worked outside the home and was a businesswoman. But what's interesting it. about that is that you don't hear that part when people are teaching no, this. She's she's presented as a homebody who looks after her household, whereas mm-hmm. I was only bringing that up to my girls because I'm like, look, look, she's a badass. She's one of the women working and earning a living in a culture that probably wouldn't have been so down with this. You know, this women's autonomy, I mean, where we are in society now and back then are not the same places. So I found it super empowering. But you're right. Whenever the Proverbs 30 woman is presented, she is a housewife, a subservient, good, quiet, submissive. Yeah, that's what we're taught. And then like you even have things like this. All this comes is like explaining these situations to someone who does never grew up in a church setting. It sounds insane. So like sisterhood, Hillsong's sisterhood is insane to everyone else I've, i even i can't even talk about it to people that don't understand what sisterhood is because it sounds crazy it's like a group of church women and we throw like confetti things and we like talk about what it means to be a woman and the women the men serve us this one day and then we wear crowns and we're like queens and princesses for a day 
Um, so like it's everything builds like to this setting of like a woman should be like kind of in the background, but still strong in her way. And like she is clean all the time and like all these types of things. Um, and I think from a young age, girls especially are like kind of taught like sexuality and things. It's like our responsibility to control. Like we are the ones responsible for how our bodies are shown to men. Um, and like we cannot let men you know, the Eve, you know, she's the temptress in this whole scenario. She's the reason the downfall, everything happened because of her. Um, so like, I think there's this weirdness and like how we're supposed to dress and like how we're supposed to look and we can't be too sexual. And if a man finds us too sexy, like that's on us. Um, yeah, I think like the culture for women in these settings is just, it's not good <laughs> <laughs> and it's really hard to break, but yeah. And it's not always, um, I mean, the crowns and the glitter and all that. I have never heard of that. That's a Hillsong thing. And I'm just like, oh, interesting. Weird. But like, Wait, did you ever go to one? <laughs> yeah. Oh, did I? Um, sorry. Were you yeah. serving the women in their crowns? Yeah, I, yes. yes. I, I was, I served at one of them. Yeah. 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 They're interesting. <laughs> they are. That's, it is something else. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, as a guy, I'd want to peek in and be like, what are they, what are they doing? <laughs> What's going I mean, on? They, in this? Like, it was, I mean, it was definitely like, I, the thing is I had no, um, no critical awareness because at this point, I think I was, I was starting to really get into the the Here's whole thing. I had, a, I had a, a short time of, of, of buy-in at Hillsong. I know I talk about my Hillsong experiences. Like I was, I was already kind of a foot out the door of Christianity, which I was, but even, even people like me who had, who had been through quite a Christian upbringing, um, and then had a foot out the door it's still that culture still has a way of kind of drawing you in. And so I, I kind of drank some of the Kool-Aid as well and sort of got, what is that term that you use for people who are like really into Hillsong culture and they buy the hat? Oh and the yeah. Merch? Like, you know, like, it, What's well, the word you, from, have? you know, people, people refer to, um, people, people who are super obsessed with sneakers as sneakerheads. So, um, one of my friends, uh, used to call, um, you know, people who, who were really into Hillsong, Hillsong heads. That's great. Hillsong um, heads. That was what you yeah. <laughs> said. It made me laugh. Yeah, it's like that obsessive, it. that obsessive, like you got to buy the every version of this sneaker that's coming out or whatever, you know, they're sneaker heads. They know everything about all about, you know, sneakers. And then uh, the Hillsong heads are like, oh, the new United album hasn't even come out yet, but I got an advanced copy. Oh, let's like, you know, let's have a listening party. at my like, God almighty. What? So, <laughs> yeah. Hey, tone it down. I, I just like to have a drink, <laughs> you know? Yeah. My non-Christian friends called it cults. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Numbers. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and going back, I guess, sorry, I'm, I'm, my head was like, where were we going with this? But I think wh what yeah. I was talking about was women and how, how you know what, it's the, so the parties are weird. Um, but yeah. like, when it comes to those messaging about uh, women and how they're perceived, like you said, it could be talking about Proverbs 31 woman in a way that just highlights her home stuff. Or it could be, like you said, the pastor who, the youth pastor who, and this is a known trope outside of, like, it's such a, such a stereotype because it happens in evangelicalism as a whole. The pastor's talking about his hot wife, repeats, like, everyone yeah. has the story of this almost because it happens so mm -hmm. frequently. But that idea that, like, that's something that he's going to talk about on a stage. Like who does that anywhere else outside of evangelical culture gets up and starts talking about my wife, my hot, sexy wife. She's so hot on a stage where in front of a bunch of teenagers, like it, it's so gross and creepy and weird and awkward. Yeah. 
And yet it sends a subtle message too at the same time about women and about their role. And these subtle messages come through in such a, a myriad of ways. Like um, I'm trying to think through Hillsong and it, it probably reflects, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's male dominated, right? Like the women do not have the same voice at Hillsong as the men do. Right. I think some of it is is a little bit of... Um a little bit performative and a little bit tokenizing. Um, yeah. And I remember I got into some of these sort of egalitarian spaces on on social media, um, co- having coming having come out of an Acts 29 church, which was, you know, heavily uh, complementarian. They were straight uh, women, up about yeah, women shouldn't were, be in charge. Yeah, women, and we're proud of women their, cannot, that view. Right. They, women cannot be pastors. Women cannot be elders. Um, and it was put into some, some of Acts 29 churches put that into their doctrinal statements. So coming out of that space and then, you know, entering a space like Hillsong where like, oh, women are pastors and women are getting up and preaching, not nearly as often, but hey, you know, I, I remember like posting in some of those groups saying like posting a picture of when, you know, one of the women pastors was preaching. And I'm like, see, look, you know, we've got women's, well, you know, women preaching. Um, but to me, looking at it, it's, it's, it's performative. It's, it's to, it's to kind of show like, Hey, look at how, you know, how, how with it we are, we're, we're not archaic where we don't let women get up on stage and, and preach. Um, we don't hide our women behind veils, you know, we're modern and we, you know, (laughs) we let women up on, on, uh, on stage, but they're parroting a lot of the same language, whether, whether consciously or unconsciously it's the same copy and paste method that we've been talking about like the lead pastor calls his his wife hot and so all the other little like fellow pastors are like oh that is the cool thing to do because we are we're like so trendy and like we say that our wives are so freaking hot we want everyone to know and see so we're gonna also do it so then it's like the main pastor saying and so is like the community pastor and this and the youth pastor are also doing the same types of things and wearing the same clothes and like saying the same exact things about their wives. It's all it's all just a showy show show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because if you if you think about it, like how many of these women actually have um like real influence in how the church functions? And I could be wrong about this because I I never sat in any of those, you know, staff meetings. But like it it looks so much like every other evangelical church the messaging that comes out of it is the same kind of messaging and and my suspicion is that if the women were really at the table um and and influencing those kinds of decisions at at the church they they would put a stop to that kind of behavior um yeah. and not just like the statements themselves of like you know god gave me a smoking hot wife but cuz that's a symptom of of something else that like those those comments speak to the fact that deep inside these pastors, deep inside these men, they they all view their wives as a trophy to be paraded across the stage, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, women are commodities in these environments. They're not given a voice of influence. They're not given, a, you know, real tangible power in these places. And, I, and the, the, when you mentioned tokenization of women, I mean, I saw you, people can't see because this is a 
podcast, but Lizeth nodding her head at the idea of tokenizing yeah. women. And uh, it brought in my head too. I mean, we're going to put links in the comments to the BBC documentary and, or whichever ones are available or even the names of the ones. Maybe you'd have to be in the UK to get your hands on the other one, but we'll still name them off. So people who want to go look up these resources maybe can get their hands on it and look at it. There's also some article I remember us reading and maybe we'll also stick it in the show notes um, about the tokenization of different communities and how, you know, People who are in marginalized communities at Hillsong, uh, be the black community, women, the idea of being given some sense of upfrontness in order to project that Hillsong is diverse, but then not actually being really given that like you're you have a very limited uh, ability to have influence or power over the leaders and uh, your voice is heard in a limited fashion. So it looks the optics look nicer. I guess like you're saying, in, in the church used to come from, Nate, they're very blatant and explicit and proud of their misogyny. They wouldn't call it misogyny. They'd be like, God gave me this place as a man. Raw, you know? And whereas Hillsong would be like, no, look, we got, we're so progressive. We got women in preaching and pastors. We don't hold women back. But like you said, how much of a voice are they actually given? How much, how much, you know, if you compare it with the male input with the female input, what does that look like? And when we see the outcomes, we have an idea of what kind of input women have because of what keeps perpetuating itself over and over with the leadership. We can see that yeah. there's a lack of female input. But I mean, even if you look at who's their founder, Brian Houston, who's, you know, Carl Lentz and his wife, who's, who's the face, who's the voice, who's the, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you can look at that across the board in Hillsong and see that the male, the males have a different, um, they're given a certain privilege and a certain voice and a certain power that the women don't have at the same level even if they're brought into the front sometimes right. even if you'll hear their voices sometimes it's not in proportion they don't have the same leadership power at top levels that the guys do so it's still and it's harder i think because when you have a boys club and it's explicitly a boys club then you could be like see it's a boys club but when you have a boys club where they're hiding the fact that they're a boys club and they're like no look we invite women in it mm. almost is harder to put your finger on the fact that women are not given the proper voice <laughs> right. and that they don't right. have the power because the optics can be deceiving. Like it's, it's, I don't know. It, 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 I know we've talked about this in, in another episode, but like, it's like the church that says we're welcoming of gay people, but they don't tell you they won't marry them or allow them to be pastors. Like there's mm -hmm. these unwritten things that you don't find mm -hmm. out until you're heavily invested. And I feel like when it comes to women and tokenization, that seems to yeah. be a part of like, I've heard from other women who've attended Hillsong who've said, that they didn't feel like their voices, like just with their peers doing the same team stuff as they are in the same category as them at the church, their voice right. didn't count the same way a guy's did. And I, that's yeah. something I've heard and I've read about. And yeah, I was just wanting to throw that out there as, as a, as a statement, as an outsider, but you two have been on the inside and seem to be noticing that as well. Yeah, for sure. there's, there's a lot of that. I mean, and we could go on ad nauseum about, yeah all of that. I mean, the tokenization of, uh, of black people when, when we get to black history month and yes, a lot of black people attend Hillsong, but they, something happens when black history month rolls around. That's not like the rest of the year. And to me, that just screams further tokenization. And I think that might actually be in that, in that article or that blog post that you right. were referencing, Gail. We'll throw it in. We we have gone on um, for quite a while in this episode. Lizeth, I want to thank you for sharing with us. Um, and this is going to end up two episodes because we're way past the length of one episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> thank you so much for hanging yeah. in with us for all this time. So, Lizette, thank you again for coming on uh, our show and for um, being open and vulnerable about your story. Um, I know some of this is still ongoing, so it can feel um, a little intense to even to, to even share. But um, from my perspective, I think it's so important to have these conversations so that we can address how these structures are um, incredibly imbalanced and abusive. You know, as we're finishing this off, Lizeth, I, I, one of the things I like to do when we unpack sort of the, the what's gone wrong and sort of, and I think in order to to really help make a difference, you have to do the exposing. But I also like to focus on, uh, you know, how could we imagine a hopeful story going forward? What would be great? Yeah. Like, what would what would it look like if this was a healing thing to this culture? What would that look like? I like to take the time to try and imagine how could this be done well, or what would need to change to what would be a hopeful take on on this sort of scenario? What would you hope? Yeah, and actually, I want to make sure that is also added because I think something like this and like telling like this side of this like issue and like talking about this I feel like comes off like I hate church and church is so bad mm -hmm. but that's not what is happening here and I don't think that's the problem um I think if there's like key takeaways it's like in churches like this where you just get so sucked in and something that's super important is like making sure that you're checking in with yourself and understanding that like what feels good to you are you getting the help that you need I think the idea of therapy and things like that and actually getting real medical help and protecting your mental health is so important. And I feel like churches haven't created that environment. But again, I don't want to go on like hating churches and like Christianity. But how and stuff it like could that. be done right, maybe is supporting people yes. and getting the, the therapy that they people. need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also just the understanding that, you know, you go to one church, maybe that's not the church for you. Mm -hmm. There are so many other churches. And I feel like I've lived on this planet long enough, what, 30 years. And I can probably, and I've gone to a number of different churches and I can probably say like two of them have been where I'm like, this is a good place. This is a place I feel very comfortable, but I think it's so easy to start going to like a big church, like Hillsong that's so flashy and beautiful. And then you go and you meet people that you like and you get along with, and then you get sucked into this like tornado of like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm doing this, that you don't even have time to like pull away and be like, is this actually a place that I feel good? And I think that's important. It's like you can't, it takes a lot of like finding a good church and like a place that's good for you. It takes a lot of time. It's not just like you show up on one Sunday and then you come in and you're like, this is it. This is the places for me. There's so many places and like people need to take the time to like assess themselves shop around, look at all the different places, find out what you actually really want and understand that what you want today could be different from what you want tomorrow in a year, five years, depending on what your life journey is. Maybe the flashy church isn't what you're going to need when you're like going through shit and you maybe you need more of like a smaller community that's more hands-on and more like community driven and like focused in on itself. Yeah, And I think that's like the big thing. It's like, just take care of yourself. Listen to what you need. Um, know yourself enough to know yeah. what you need. I love that point mm -hmm. that you've made. Yeah. That yeah. self-reflection. <laughs> yeah. Look around. And I think. Yeah, and we're going to go, also, Nate. You, me, let's let's all throw in. I had some thoughts. And then you, sorry, do you want to go with yeah, yours yeah. first, Nate? Or do you want me to go? Sorry. No, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go so you can wrap up. Wrap up. Um, but I just real quick, I think it's also very healthy to take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, because when you're in the grind of like, I need to find a church, I need to find fellowship, I need to find community. You're not, you're not actually checking in with yourself. If you step away from a church, step away 
and give yourself the space to be like, okay, I'm going to take six months. I'm going to take a year. I'm going to take two years and just check in with myself. I'm going to do things that are not church related. I'm not going to shop around. I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble on a Sunday morning. I'm going to, or, or your local indie bookshop on a Sunday morning. Um, I'm going to enjoy nature for a while. I'm going to, whatever it is that you need to do to open your mind to who you are before you get back into that grind of like, I need to find a community. I need to find spiritual um, guidance or whatever. Figure yourself out. I think that's also very helpful. You just totally highlighted the thing I love what Lizeth was saying about, you know, finding, figuring out who you are and having that self-reflection. And you're right, taking a step back. I thought of when the pandemic happened, I was so happy for all the people who are caught in the church grind, because I know you just said it, Nate, taking a step out of church is great. You and I had some of our best healing times outside of church. And and I think we both found church. We're both back in a church. But I like what you said about, you know, that pressure to find a church. I don't, I mean, where I've landed right now, even though I attend church, I think never going back to church again is a legitimate place. And it doesn't mean you're a hater, you're broken, you're, you haven't reconstructed properly, you're dot, 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 fill in the blank. If you, you know, find yourself on the other side and you're done with church, I don't think there's anything unhealthy for you because of that. And I don't think you should pressure yourself. And I think if you feel like you have to be back at church, that might trigger a question of how healed you are from your whole church experience, that you feel this guilt about not being in church might be a sign mm. that you have something to work through. Because I, if I meet somebody and they're done with church, I, there's not a piece of me asking what's wrong with them. It's like, that's a legitimate mm -hmm. path to take in life, even though I've landed back in a church, which surprises even myself. But I, I know that healing came from stepping outside of church. And I wish everyone could take a sabbatical from church. And I hope everyone throughout the pandemic had a moment to reflect on while churches were shut down, if they went to churches that shut down, which is a whole other conversation about unhealthy churches that I won't <laughs> sidetrack on, ones that ignored the whole pandemic altogether because they didn't want to lose revenue. But um, that's all I'll say. Just drop that and, and move on. But I think taking a step back is super healthy. Um, other thoughts from stuff you had shared, Lizeth, about um, you know, how it becomes your whole social circle and everything. And and especially if you come in from uh, outside and you move into a, a church and you're looking for community. I think one of the things I learned from leaving my church community that I had been with for 20 years, almost 20 years invested in one place. Um, if your church is your whole social life, you're missing out. And I think it becomes way harder to take a step out of a church where that's your whole social circle. And I, I guess my big recommendation for a healthy church, we're, we're trying to cast healthy visions and hopeful things, um, have community outside of your church as a backup, but also because it's very good in life to not only have church as your whole life. So have friends that have nothing to do with church. Make sure your social circles are as robust outside of your church as they are inside. And I know as you're an adult, it's easy to be lazy and just focus on one place so you don't have to think it through as hard. And it's so you have to be so intentional to build community outside and inside a church. But I think that makes being able to step back and, and leaving a bad environment so much easier to do and you don't feel stuck if you built intentionally into relationships outside of your church. So I would say that would be a takeaway. Um, and the other thing you mentioned, uh, I don't know if it was you, Nate or Lizeth, because I'm thinking of all the different pieces you guys were saying, but um, that thing about, you know, you're made to feel guilty if you're not serving. I would say if you're all the time on and you were talking, Lizeth, about health, church supporting you and looking after your mental health, that would be a really good positive. A church yeah. that encourages you to take a step back and doesn't guilt you when you take a step out of leadership. That doesn't say, what's wrong with you? I remember someone's asking me if I was saved when I stepped out of youth ministry. <laughs> like when I resigned, it was like, that was the question they had for me. 
you know, it's like, what's wrong with you? I think the leadership and people around you, if they're encouraging you to take a step back, if they don't guilt you or make you feel guilty for stepping out of roles, that is a healthy sign of a good church. And any church that keeps mm-hmm. making you feel like if you're not running on that treadmill, burning yourself out, something's wrong with you. That's unhealthy. That's a red flag. So the green flag would be a church that tells you, yes, please look after yourself. Yes, you should not feel guilty for stepping out. Uh, If you don't want to serve, that is completely legitimate. You're not an inferior person or Christian for that. So I would like cast those as hopeful. Hopefully these are growing healthy signs of community that people can can paint visions of, of things to look for and, and, and positive things if they have those in their church to be happy about. Well... Thank you so much uh, again, Lizeth, for being a part of this conversation. This was a heavy one. Uh, we went into some pretty, uh, pretty difficult territory. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That wraps up this week's episode of Full Mutuality. Thank you for listening. We truly are grateful for your support. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app. If you don't have a favorite podcast app, you can visit our website, fullmutuality.com, to find links to the over 20 apps that we're available on. I'm sure you'll find one that you like. Speaking of our website, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find links to all of our social media pages there. You can also leave us a voice message, and who knows, we might even feature your message on a future episode. You can find other ways to support the show on our site, but the best way to do so is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast.